Uh, okay, so I've got a little interesting devotion I want to share with you this morning. It's one that's kind of uh, kind of weird. I, you know, it, it's not an uncommon one. It's been maybe you've heard of it before. It's fascinating to me, particularly because of my journeys to Israel, to know that this 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 place. Uh, where this story takes place was actually discovered uh, in excavations about uh, probably about 40, 50 years ago. It was, it was discovered, and now it's very well excavated, and I have visited, and it's, just, it's really cool. It's just a, a pretty cool uh, archaeological site, and it's called the Pool of Bethsaida. And this pool uh, was a public pool fed by a spring, uh, a natural spring, and they built uh, the flow of water to come in and built like a portico and a, with, a, with a terrace and with pillars and, and an overhang, and it was kind of like a public bath is what it was, a public swimming pool, you could even call it, except that water is very important ritually to Jews, so it, it was also used as a mikvah which is a place to be baptized, but baptism uh, in the Jewish tradition isn't like our baptism, a one-shot deal. It's like every time you're going to go to the temple or, every, or, or if you've become ceremonially unclean, you've touched a dead person, you walked over a grave, you need to have uh, a baptism uh, to be washed, and then they would take place there. But it had a particular legend in the Second Temple time period. And this is testified to in other, in, 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 in other writings. It, it was said that once in a while the water would stir. And what it means really meant is that the spring would have some kind of big swell that would push up the volume of water that was coming through and create an actual current and a swirl in the pool. The tradition was is that stirring of the water was caused by a, an angel of God. And when the water was stirred in the pool, people could get healings from their ailments. So kind of like, you know, Lourdes in France, right? Where they have, uh, they have that magic, you know, the, the water of Lourdes, the healing properties, people go on pilgrimages there to get healed and stuff like that. It kind of had that mystique about it. So there would often be a lot of uh, ill people around the pool. And then when the water stirred, they tried to jump in and get in and try to get a healing. And Jesus is walking by this place in chapter 5 of John. It was a time of a feast, so you can imagine that there was, you know, a, a pretty healthy crowd. And he said, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethsaida, or Bethsaida. Um, the Sheep Gate is actually an excavated gate. You can, it's there today. You can actually go through it. Uh, it's called the Sheep Gate because... They brought a lot of sheep through it. That's all. <laughs> Pretty practical name. I'm just giving you some archaeological insight, right? <laughs> 
And it says, um, it was surrounded by five covered colonnades. So you get kind of that Roman architecture feel that's built around it, a lot of white marble. It says here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. There was one that was there that had been an invalid for 38 years. Now we don't know what he had, if he had a palsy, if he had a, what my son has, you know, an advanced muscular dystrophy. We don't know um, if he just seized up from rheumatoid arthritis, but he was an invalid and he had been suffering for 38 years and he's lying there. And he says, when Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had had this condition for a long time, Jesus went to him. I, I find this interesting and disturbing at the same time. Okay, so, and this is the problematic stuff. This is what other preachers don't like to talk about because they don't like the problems, but I am a problem guy, and I see problems all the time. So my first problem is, why did you see him and not any of the others? that were blind, or paralyzed, or lame. So it, 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 it's one of those perplexing questions that I don't necessarily get a, uh, a soothing or feel-good answer about. Why do some people get chosen for a healing and others not? That really disturbs me, God, okay? Um, so I'm... I'm I'm not of the persuasion. This doesn't affect my theology. Uh, to me, if that's the way Jesus really is, he's kind of an asshole. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Yeah, if he's really like, ah, I have the power to heal all of you, but I'm just choosing you. What kind of jerk is that, right? So that's a problem for me. Uh, and I don't have an answer for it, except that I just don't believe God works that way. But in this scene, apparently, God does. But I'm thinking there's probably a message behind this story, and the, the story is, isn't the message. The message is somewhere behind this story and in this story, and that's the way the Bible works a lot of times, right? Jesus sees him, and then he goes over to him, and he asks him a really stupid question. Now, I'm going to tell you, if there's one thing that irritates me, one thing that will flip my switch, and I'm not making an excuse, I'm not saying it's right, I guarantee you I overreact every time. But when somebody asks me a really stupid question, I flare up. I get angry. I mean, I have an immediate flame. Like, what the hell? That's this. You know what his question was? Do you want to get well? Jesus Christ. Why do you think I'm lying here in misery by the healing pool on this pallet. I mean, that would be me. Who the are you? You know? Get lost. Do you want to get well? 
I'm standing in a long line wanting to hopefully get a TV I want to buy. And somebody says, you want that TV? Yeah, you dumb son. Yeah, exactly. Why do you think I'm standing in the freaking line for two hours? Are you a complete idiot? You know, that's my natural reaction. So I, I don't think I would have responded the way this guy did. So the Bible story probably would have gone a different direction. <laughs> but this guy is a little bit snarky to Jesus. First of all, he calls him Sir. Sir. Jesus is obviously a rabbi. Everybody calls him rabbi. Everybody calls him teacher, rabbi, teacher, rabbi. This guy just goes, Sir. Like, it's kind of snarky. He says, I have no help to get into the pool when the water is stirred because while I'm trying to get in, someone always goes down ahead of me. He's trying to say, listen, it's pretty obvious, okay? I'm just getting, part of the problem is, is I can't get down to the pool. So if you want to do something or say something constructive, you want to help, help. But if you don't, shut up. It's kind of basically what I'm getting out of him. Uh, and then Jesus said to him, and I find this odd and weird. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. And he picked up his mat, and he walked. Again, a weird, weird story. I don't really know what's going on here. And a lot of it I don't like. But this guy ain't complaining. I don't necessarily uh, believe that God is in the business of miracles. I don't, personally. I've seen too many hucksters. I've seen too many phonies. And that's whether it's Benny Hinn's Healing Crusades or Peter Popoff, um, a miracle water you can get at midnight on the TV infomercial. Uh, I don't believe in any of that crap. I have never personally seen at any, at any of those uh, 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 ridiculous carnivals of healing an actual healing take place, never. But then you might say, but Paul, do you believe in miracles? And I'm like, well, yeah, because they happen. And I have the foggiest notion why. But I know people who would say, miraculously, I got cured. Or miraculously, I got healed. Or miraculously, I survived. So they do take place. And that's the realm of mystery. And I love mystery. I love being, to be, I love to be honest. I don't get it. I don't even believe that. But that actually happened. <laughs> so, and I don't have an explanation for it or whatever. However it is, this happened to this guy. So he gets up and he starts walking. But this is maybe what the story is about. The day on which this took place was on the Sabbath. And so the Jews attacked the man who had been healed. 
They said to him, it's the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. So Jesus also told them to do something that was forbidden on this holy day by religious leaders. It's not necessarily that it's forbidden in the Torah, but that was one of the problems of interpretation, right? The Torah says, you shall not work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. All right, so we're like, okay, cool. And then somebody would go like me, uh, what's work? Well, you, you, you don't go to your job. Oh, cool. So can I work on my barn that I'm building in the backyard? No, that's work. And then somebody says, yeah, but what about gardening? Yeah, that's, hmm. Will you sweat? Probably. That's work. No. And this is what Jews would sit around and debate for thousands of years, what you can and cannot do. One thing they said you couldn't do is carry stuff um, or walk far. You could walk, but they had a certain distance you could walk, but beyond that was work because you'll probably break a sweat, and so you're not allowed to walk that far. So all these weird laws. And so the man gets attacked, and he said, the man who healed me said, pick up your mat and walk. Now, that I also love about this guy. He's like, screw you. I mean, you guys have never done anything for me, never got any healings from you and all your healers and miracle water. Nothing's ever worked for me. I mean, I remember when we used to take the Bible like literally here, when I first got here, it was like such a big deal, right, you know? Well, James says, if you have someone ill, gather the elders, anoint him, and the prayers of the righteous will heal him. As the Bible says, let's do that. After like the 10th person we did that to died, I was going like, hmm. We're 0 for 10. Something's not, you know, either we're not praying right or there's somebody unrighteous amongst us. You know, that, that's the paranoia kicks in. We'd always look at Sean McAfee like. <laughs> he surfs. He serves communion with shorts on. That was a big deal, remember? Remember we had a big argument on the elder board because Sean served communion and he was wearing, as he calls them, short pants. And, and there were like a lot of people that were really steamed about that. It became this long outdrawn battle in the elders meeting, okay? So we're not any different than the Jews, trust me. You know, we can sit there and laugh at them, but we do the same shit all the time. I mean, it's like, oh yeah. So, he, so, but I love that the guy's like, dude, that guy I'm listening to, he told me to get up. I got up. <laughs> I haven't got up in 38 years. He told me to pick up the mat and walk. I'm like, absolutely. Happy to oblige you. So they say, where is this fellow who told you to pick up the mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. He had no, nothing about Jesus. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I think that's cool. So this is a, you know, a drive-by healing, you know. Hit it. Out of Dodge, a drive-by healing. And uh, 
which doesn't make sense to me either, but it is. And then it says, later Jesus found him at the temple. I like that too. So Jesus finds him. I don't know if he chases him down, but they use the word find, which means maybe he was looking. I mean, that's kind of weird. But so he was looking for the dude. And uh, maybe he heard he got into trouble with the religious leaders. And then he sees him, and then he says this. This is really, this is kind of just, I mean, sometimes Jesus kind of sucks. He's like, oh, see, you are well again. Yeah. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. See, this is what you call a contradiction in the Bible. Now, when you believe the Bible is literal, you can't believe in contradictions. At one point, the disciples are walking with Jesus, and they see a layman lying on the ground. And the disciples ask, with correct theology of the day, Jesus a question. Who sinned? This man? Because if you sinned, if you were sick, you did something to deserve it. Or his parents. Was it, was it trans, what's the word? Transferred, I guess, or simply transferred sin from mom and dad injected into their child, which was also Jewish theology, that now they are crippled because of what mom and dad did. And Jesus says, neither. And Jesus heals him. Jesus talks about a tower that had recently collapsed on some construction workers in Jerusalem and killed some people. And he's, he uses this as an example. Do you think the guys that were killed in the construction accident were worse sinners than anybody else? No. He, he's basically saying, stuff happens. It just happens. It falls out of the sky. I remember when this, this, she wasn't a Christian, but she was this crazy gal that when, when Josh, she was like way into karma, when Josh got muscular dystrophy, she was like, wow, what did you do to bring that upon yourself? That's karma. That's how karma works, and Jesus calls BS on that. No. But right here, he says something, if he actually said it. Let me say that. Because there's a part of me that says, no way. He could never have said that. Or he said it, but he knew something I didn't know, or that we don't know, and we can conjecture and go there. Maybe, just maybe, the guy did something that actually put him into that condition. You know? Maybe. Maybe he was a drunk driver and he crashed into a tree and he jacked himself up. I'm using a modern metaphor. And Jesus healed him and said, stop drinking and driving. Something worse is going to happen. You may kill somebody else. You may kill a friend. You may actually kill yourself this time. That's the kind of context I've got to go to to think like, oh, there's probably a story behind the story behind the story for this guy. And we don't have the details, but we have to think before we start walking around and telling people, oh, you're over the cold? 
well, good. Stop sinning or you're going to get the coronavirus. Oh, jeez, man. You know, that's, that's not the way, that's not, what, that's not what the story is teaching. But here's the thing that really jumps out at me, Snickers. What really jumps out at me is this one question, and it is a great question. The starting question of Jesus, which I would have blown him away with. But what I've learned in my life today is so true. He says, do you want to get well? Wow. I have in my 32 years of ministry had to ask that question of people many times. Honestly and privately and confidentially. And some people would just answer, no. Or some people would just say, but this guy kind of did. I'm incapable of it. You know you need to leave this man. This man is brutal, he's cruel, he's abusive. He treats you like dirt. You know you need to leave him because you have no life. Do you want to get well? I'd like to, but I'm too scared to move. So I'm stuck in my misery. Fear is trapping me. You, you need to go into rehab. You can't quit this addiction on your own. You need help. Oh, I've always done it on my own. Yeah, no, you, it's not working. You need professional help. If you want it, you can come to me. I'll help you. Some people say, yeah, I really want it. I get him into rehab. Some people say, let me think about it, and I never see him again. Some people say, I'll think about it, and they continue in their drugs. And I, I think I told you about last week, right? I, I, I helped this lady, or a couple weeks ago, uh, she got in contact with me through her neighbor's daughter who knows about our church or something. And, and this woman is desperate because her son is 42 years old. has been homeless the last 10 years, meth addict, living on this, and, and, and dumpster diving and literally sleeping in the parks and streets and everywhere else. Um, she's had to set some really strict boundaries for her family with him. You know, she told me the story of his pervasive addiction and when it started and how he never would, wanted to go to rehab and he never wanted help. He always would say, I can do it on my own. I could do it on, on my own. He'd have a little, you know, a little season of sobriety and then boom, he'd be back in the meth and back on the streets. And now he'd been there for 10 years. And she says, you can't come back ever unless you want help. I'm not gonna do anything for you. I love you, but I can't support this. If you want help, let me know. 10 years, calls her up. Says, I wanna get into rehab. I wanna get well. Do you wanna get well? Yeah, now I really actually want to get well. So, 
she didn't have the money to get him into a program that had a scholarship for him, but there was an entrance fee and they couldn't afford it. So I talked to the director and I plugged him in and he detoxed. It was a couple weeks ago. Um, oh no, this is a couple, no, this, this, that, that was last week. This, the one I'm talking about is like a couple of months before. That's like every week, but so I get confused. So he goes in and uh, gets detox, goes into the program and does a 90-day program. And he's 60 days into it right now and he's clean. And he's got two part-time jobs, one outside, one, in, one, one inside. He's gonna graduate and go to the halfway house for the first time in his life. He went into rehab and she's telling me, I've just seen my son for the first time in over 10 years. Like, the son that I actually raised, that's a good human being. I can't tell you, he's gained weight, his complexion is cleared up, his eyes are clear. He's, I'm like, that's, that's amazing. But it starts with that question, do you wanna get well? Um, and if we say yes, then you can expect help. You can expect divine help. You can expect the help of God to give you strength, courage, wisdom. Uh, you can expect the help of others in community. Doesn't mean it will succeed the first time, whatever it is. Doesn't mean it won't be scary. But sometimes we get stuck into a situation we have to ask ourselves, do I want to just stay in familiar misery where I know how to function? Or do I want to get out of this misery and take a risk? This happens all the time with people who I know in the work I've done with uh, felons, professional prison livers. That's their biggest fear often is getting out of prison. You know, you'd think like, oh man, you, you know, well, maybe you saw the movie Shawshank Redemption, but it captures it perfectly. The terror of a man who's been so institutionalized in prison, his greatest fear was being paroled. And when he got paroled, that was like a prison sentence. And he went out into the world, and instead of being able to enjoy it, taking your shoes off and putting your feet in the grass of a park and reading a book or going to a movie or getting a job bagging groceries. He couldn't see beauty anymore, anywhere, you know? So they do one of two things. They either kill themselves or they commit another crime to get back in because they can't handle health. I don't say this with any judgment. I'm just saying this is truth. But do we want to get well? is a question that we need to ask ourselves at times in our life. Um, and if we do, I trust you. Trust me, there will be help for you. Remember that. And God's help will be there for you. Peace and grace be with you.